0: Welcome back everyone to Ready Set Go Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host Brandon Elliot. Today, we're going to be diving into some deeper understanding of what commercial bank lenders are really looking for, the do's, the don'ts and everything in between. So, we have a good friend of mine on here. He's going to be dropping all the gold nuggets, you know, the learning curves that he's been through. And uh, all for the benefit of the listeners, you guys. So that being said, Chris, what is going
1: on, brother? How are you, man? I'm doing well, doing great. Excited to be on the show. Yeah, um, I, I just, appreciate you jumping on. I'm I'm here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, the market's tightening up. Uh, trying to still find deals where I can work for other investors, and I'm attempting to crack in the multifamily space. That's why I met up with you back in Phoenix earlier this year with the uh, with the Phoenix Education Workshop. So that's my ultimate goal, but it's it's tough in this market.
0: That's right. That's right. So for anybody out there that doesn't know exactly who you are, uh, do you mind just diving into who you are, your background, where you live,
1: you know, what kind of investing you are doing? Um, I'm a a single uh mm-hmm. single family buy and hold investor here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, I'm not really any different than most of the others that start out. Uh I got on the bigger pockets, but I think I had a rental number three. I personally now own 20 and that's, you know, I, I feel pretty good about that. Uh, I started out, you know, paying, took out a home equity loan in my house and said, Hey, you know, I, I surprised my wife. I said, I bought one first rental and she didn't like it. And, you know, we're up to 20. So we're at the point now where there's times I don't even tell my wife I bought a house. And she's was yeah. like, I had no idea. And I did the normal, I, you know, when I first started, I was an IT guy. You know, that, that was my background. And I transitioned, I did IT work for a bank and then the housing crisis hit, the bank got into trouble and they needed some help with some of their systems to say, hey, you know, you come over here and help us fix our com- commercial systems to help us monitor our loan portfolio better and we'll slowly train you to become a commercial lender. And I said, cool, sounds exciting, needed to happen. So that's what got me into that space. But all along that time period, I was doing the conventional, you know, borrowing with my W-2. Yeah, I'd buy a rental property. I'd go out to a, a conventional lender that I could get a thirty-year fixed rate because I was reading, hey, that you know, the more leverage you can get, the better your cash flow, and I can get those fixed rates. But man, by the time I thought I could get ten of them, because that's what I read online. It's like, you know, there are certain lenders that mainly go four or five, but I had some lenders in my market said, hey, look, we'll let you go up to ten. And I knew, okay, well, I had a primary residence, so that's my first one, so I can do nine more rentals. Well, I didn't understand at the time. I think it was by the time I got my third put on a conventional mortgage uh, that they said, Hey, you can't do anymore. Your debt to income's too high. Yeah. And what, I, what I learned was it wasn't that my income here, my, myself, and my rentals, everything was great. But what happened was I learned that by taking on some rentals late in the year and put them in service in October and November, I would show those, pa- I would show those losses for that year and I'd hardly collect any rent. Yeah. And so it's especially- a lot higher. Yeah. Right. I was doing all this rush to put this on my tax tax form for that year. to So I could claim that loss. Yeah. Well then I learned what that loss on my tax return would look like to my lender. Yep. Now, those conventional lenders, they don't look at a, a schedule that says, Oh, well, you know," they're not allowed to understand that you did this in October. They look at that and say, Hey, you lost 1200 bucks last year on three of these rentals. We're going to assume you're going to lose 1200 bucks a year, every year going forward. And that's what kills it. So all of a sudden, I couldn't go the conventional route. And now, so that's what now, kind of pushed me to commercial.
0: Okay, I like that. So, you know, you're kind of just tired of running into the craziness of uh, the the conventional lending and uh, and all the hurdles that they're putting you through. So you're just like, hey, let's get into the bigger atmosphere. Obviously, there's a lot more profit and, you know, bigger scenery. So that's definitely. that's always a – it's very attractive. It's definitely a good-looking spot. But as far as – you know, the lenders, obviously, it's not like rocket science to see that you did buy it maybe in October, September, what have you, and, and you are claiming a big loss because you're doing a remodel on it or what have you. You know, are
1: some of these lenders taking that into consideration? On the conventional space, I learned they don't get to because this conventional paper, at least the lenders I was going to my market, they're going to sell this paper on the on the secondary market, recoup their investment and service the debt. So, the kind of, even though I was getting it as an investor, it was the same kind of loan you'd get if it was your primary residence, uh-huh. just an investor status. Yeah. And apparently the underwriting rules that are allowed don't permit looking at a pro forma and saying, well, we get that you did this here and it's going to be better next year. They don't get to do that. They, they put in the numbers in their, in their spreadsheets. It, it puts out a score. It's like, and they got to the point where, you know, it didn't matter that I had, you know, really excellent credit score. It didn't matter what my W2 for my job was. They yeah. looked at the whole picture, and they said, eh, can't quite do that because that would impact the grade of the paper they could sell.
0: So basically, you would have to wait for like a season period of about a year or so until you actually do get this thing up and running how it is properly. And, right.
1: then, and my, my lender – yeah, my lender is telling me, hey, if you wait a year, you know, okay, come yeah. back to me next year when you got, you know, a full year's rental, hey, you'll be golden, no problem. Yeah. My problem is I couldn't wait a year – and quit buying more houses.
0: Yeah, no, I get it.
1: I can't take a year off and stop. Yeah. If if, if it was at the end of my buying spree and I said, okay, I want to refinance four or five of these, that'd be fine. You know, okay, I'll let up season, I'll go out, I'll get that long-term rate, I'll do some stuff. But in the meantime, I'm like, I'm burning and turning. I need need to replenish my cash because I got to buy something else and replenish my cash. I can't take a year break.
0: Now, all the cash that you're using, is this your own personal or are you raising money? Because sometimes if you're raising money, you could technically get, you know, a year or maybe even a year and a half with
1: certain private money lenders, you know? I, I didn't go to the private money market yet uh, at that yeah. stage. My, my first my first time, I identified a house. A, a buddy of mine I worked with was an executive of the state. And yeah. he knew through my time working with me that I would do an occasional flip here and there. I've always dabbled in real estate, but I never was big in it. And he called me out to try and buy his buy his. The, this grandma's house. Yeah. So here's what I can offer you. And there was no flip opportunity whatsoever, but for whatever reason, that particular moment, I kind of looked at it and said, you know, I think this would be a great rental. And just yeah. a light clicked in my head and said, I think I'm going to get in the rental game. I love it. I've never killed it at flipping. And in, in the Tulsa market, the kind of houses I could buy at the 100, 120 range, I mean, you're not going to make 50 grand. It's not going to happen. Yeah. And you do all that work and you make your 10, you make your 20, you make your four. Like I've made one time. I'm like, why am I even doing this?
0: Especially with all the risk behind it. So I can definitely. Absolutely.
1: All that risk and all that sweat equity. And you look at what you end up per hour. I'm like, I'm good. But then it's like the light clicked and said, this would be a great rental. Yeah. I came home and told my wife and said, look, we're buying a rental house. Yeah. And she hyperventilated. I said, okay, go outside, get some fresh air. We'll talk again in 10 minutes. And slowly we eased into it. And she said, all right, fine. I love so, it. So I did that, but, but but I funded that by, you know, getting a home equity loan on my house. So I took a second on my primary residence so I could go pay cash for that rental. Gotcha. And then I picked that house up, polished, you know, I got I it polished on a turd. So I got yeah. that house all nice and fixed up because it needed a lot of work. And then I could say, hey, appraiser, come take a look at this one. Now I want to go get that mortgage on this property so I can re- get my cash back and go buy number two. Of so course. I- that one up, you know. So is that whole model? But I, my my seed capital was my home equity in my primary residence. So I had to go down to my local credit union. Yeah, and say, hey, give me
0: some money. So, so you are focusing on the burst strategy?
1: Yes. That, okay. That, that's my strategy. I buy. I buy like a flipper. I buy fixer uppers. I buy that yeah. House that's not fire. I bought a house that's empty. I bought quarter house. So I, I don't. I don't buy turnkey, and I don't buy from other investors that. Oh, I've done a lot of the work. I've seen the kind of work other investors in my market do and no. Uh, I don't I don't like the quality. I I like I like making sure the electric's right, the plumbing's right, I don't like shortcuts. So when it comes to the, the structure and the bones and the safety of the property, yeah, I want to make sure that's all right. If if it's got the wrong paint color, I can I can fix that later. But if, if 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 I find out someone else has rewired a house and I see a bunch of splices behind some new sheet rock, I'm out. You know, yeah. Or or I'm paying a price that'll allow me to get it done correctly.
0: Exactly. And that, that is very crucial to get it at that right price where you can't go back in and, and really do it the right way. Absolutely. Now, with these lenders that you're using, are are, there, are they like the small local mom and pop ones or are these bigger branches? Because I, I've heard of some small local branches that you know will kind of work with you and understand, as long as they understand your vision and what you're doing and the whole process, then they can actually see like, you know, he just bought it in November, he just put 60 grand into it or what have you to remodel this thing. Obviously, he's gonna have a huge loss.
1: I, the the, the lenders I went to initially were a bunch of different mortgage brokers, I could always get a better rate. You know, okay. I was used to, I was a typical consumer who's used to having a good W2 and a good FICO score and pretty much knows the answer. When I say, can I borrow money? The answer is always yes. It's just a matter of negotiating rate and whatever. Of course. So I, I went to the normal channels. I was used to, I didn't, at that point, I called around a few places. Um, None of my credit unions would touch me because it's a business purpose, even though it's Chris Simmons borrowing the money and Chris Simmons having the name on the title. It's like, no, that's business purpose. We don't do this. Uh, I found a couple small banks that would, and they would kind of entertain it But man, you look at their point spread and it's like, okay, I'm paying 2% annually more per year. And they were wanting a shorter amortization. They were, they, they kind of had a hybrid product that was sort of like what you would get at a commercial bank, but they'd, yeah. some of the, they'd still treat you as an individual. Like a 20-year It was just still cheaper to go back to my mortgage broker until I finally got found out this just isn't going to work.
0: Okay. Gotcha.
1: Yeah, no, I can, I
0: can definitely understand it. Uh, I think I've been blessed so far, at least uh, that, you know, there, there's a small local branch that ends up working with me and gets creative to make the deal work and even cover some of the closing costs. But, and thankfully, you know, the appraisers are really kind of what screwed me over on certain situations because the appraiser, you really, they're the ones that are the middleman that's painting the picture back to the, to the oh. lender. And you know they're looking at it as a business so as long as most of the liability is off of me as far as like expenses go and then there's good tenants in there you know with a year lease locked in at good prices you know they're looking at that debt to income ratio but i can definitely relate brother uh i've been through a couple that they give you that denial and and you really just got to open up another door and try another one so uh it can be a little crazy yeah so how long were you in the in the commercial scene for it because I know you were working on the lending side, correct?
1: Correct. I, I got moved over. I, I had, when I took on a special IT project to help the commercial side of the bank, I got moved over six months after that. Once that wrapped up and I became a commercial loan officer, I had lending authority and everything, but I was sort of the muscle for the bank. So I was, a I was, I did a commercial loan workout. I was in the special asset division. So I was in the division that handled the loans that went bad. Okay. You You're over on the side that's used to taking these commercial clients out and you know playing golf and lending them money for this, lending money for this, and then all of a sudden, a loan committee takes a look at the annual reviews, or we get some other indication, you know, they've been sued. There's all sorts of different things that can throw someone into fault. and we're like, okay, I'm your banker now. Yeah. I would get to introduce myself. I would I would meet with the original lender and would have a quick phone call and he would introduce me and I'd say, well, I'm I'm your new lender now. You're no longer working with Joe or whoever it was. You know, I wanted to introduce myself and let you know this is a good time leave the bank. Uh, I'm the one that would please go to our competition. We don't want you anymore. <laughs> about 30 days, I've already retained counsel. Oh, wow. Yeah, and this isn't the retail collection side. You know, we had the consumer division, the dials for dollars and... Says, oh, make your car payment. Make this. This is purely commercial. This is looking at the paper. This is looking at the assets. This could be something as simple as loan committee deciding we don't want this lending segment anymore. We'll we'll carve out this part of our portfolio and say we're exiting this business. Maybe wow. maybe you did nothing wrong, but th- they did it with they did it with uh, single family landlords. Prior to me coming to this division with the last housing downturn. I could have gone to my, the bank I worked at and got a, a, a business loan for residential real estate single family. After the last housing downturn, they said that's too risky. We're too big. This isn't worth messing with. Yeah. You know, they said, Hey, if you want to look at apartments, you know, 50 units or more and built in the last 30 years, great. Come to us. We'll work with you. If you're doing the single family stuff, duplexes, whatever, anything smaller than that, go somewhere else. Let, let the smaller regional banks in the area take that market. We don't want to meddle in that. We'd rather deal with the bigger money stuff. Yeah. So, with me being new to commercial lending and not really understanding the business on that side, I kind of took offense to of that because I was, I looked at my industry designation and I was personally, in spite of my great credit score and intelligence and even working for that bank, I was designated an unacceptable lending risk. And they said, under no uncertain terms will we lend to this. But then slowly, as I worked in the business and understood what it meant, I was like, okay, it makes sense. And it really took one of my mentors and bosses in the organization to say, hey, look, you know, if an apartment goes through bankruptcy or foreclosure or something else, we can put that into receivership. We can put a property manager and run that and still maintain that asset. It's not a big headache. You know, we can preserve the bank's collateral. We can wait till we find another buyer. We can work that stuff out. Yeah. He got to me with a hundred single family rentals. That's a hundred foreclosures. That's a hundred evictions. Yeah. That's a hundred houses to maintain. And he said, we just don't want that. That's, that's yeah. not our thing. And, and then slowly it's like, okay, I get that. You know, it's like, okay, that, that makes sense. If, if I was the size of this bank and I could lend to this kind of customer, I would probably say, Hey, let let the smaller banks deal with that because that yeah. that can be a huge headache.
0: Oh yeah. It adds up the expenses behind that. If they did need to take back and every,
1: all the moving parts in between. Whew. Right. And, and 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 every month a house sits vacant. Yep. I mean, you can, you can see just see the expenses adding up your assets to want to break into it, steal the copper, steal yep. the, AG, you know, the whole nine yards. So slowly I, as, as I've learned the business, like, yeah, that makes sense.
0: Yeah. So let me ask you as, as far as like, maintaining a good standing in the commercial lending atmosphere like how how does somebody I guess avoid seeing somebody like you when you're in that position you know and I know it's like you know just like you mentioned a moment ago with certain situations it could have been a great uh, a great uh, person and then the bank just decides to you know switch up what they want
1: right yeah so so you gotta look at your ratio so we, we use the calculators on, on different sites and you know our own spreadsheets we say, hey you know these are the numbers I like. You got to look at what each lender asks for. you know your debt coverage ratio, uh, your debt service basically says okay, you know they want to see a, a number like 1.2, which basically means of course, if you, uh, you know, pull in X amount of revenue, they want to see at least a 20% ability to repay um, higher than we pull in. So if, if you if you owe thousand dollars a month, you better be pulling in at least twelve hundred dollars, so you can kind of have a little bit of a cushion, you know. Because if you're if you're if your loan payment's a thousand dollars a month and you're pulling in a thousand dollars a month, you lose a penny. You yeah, yeah,
0: you lose, lose the money. money because of capital expenditures, vacancies, right. maintenance, right. You know, the whole nine.
1: Yeah, so so you gotta you know you gotta make sure you're good on a on a debt service ratio, and obviously you know you want to be higher than that. I mean that's the bare minimum. Yeah. If you're at 1.19, the answer is no. If you're 1.3, they're smiling at you. Yeah. Uh, you know, you want to have capital in the bank. They want liquidity. You know, they want to know that, Hey, if you have a six month vacancy, if you have someone that has bed bugs or something burns down, you, you can absorb a period of time. They don't want to know that you can go, you know, they don't want you calling them saying, I'm, I'm filing bankrupt. I missed one rent payment. Yeah. You no, know, they want to know, They'll tell you all day long. Oh, I'm your partner. I'm your partner. No, they're not your partner in the sense that hey, they'll be with the good times and the bad. They want to. They'll, they'll be your partner as long as they know they're getting their money every month. Yep. Um, you know, banks aren't allowed to redline, but they want. They'll kind of tell you. You know, they want collateral in certain regions. Yeah. You know, so there, there's parts of towns that they'll they'll want to lend in. There's parts of towns they won't. There's types of collateral. You know, a townhouse in my market. Um, won't you know maybe I only get 70% loan to value versus 80% loan to value. They'll periodically pull reviews. You know, if we if we head head into a housing downturn, my numbers might look good on a loan to value ratios right now, but loan to value when they pull an appraisal four years down the road, maybe it tanks a little bit. And they might say, Hey, you know, they might call you up and say, Hey, we're not calling your loans, but we want you to pay down the debt. You know, maybe, it's called a curtailment and an additional payment. They may say, Hey. Based on these appraisals, you're kind of high on what the ratios are. Maybe you need to pay down another hundred thousand dollars. It depends on what your loan value is. Yeah, you know, right? they,
0: they want you to have more equity in it so they have less risk into it.
1: Absolutely. They they want to know that if the situation ever does go bad, they want to hopefully get all their money back at the foreclosure sale or the sale, or I can always sell beforehand and pay the loan off. Or if it goes bad, they minimize their losses. So they want to make sure that given each season. All as well, um, you know. There's a long list of material defaults that are in each commercial contract. People got to know about. If yep. you're in a partnership with five people, and one of those people files bankrupt, guess what? The whole loan is in default. Now the bank will give you some time to say, "Hey, replace that person," or the other four guarantors, the people who, you know, guarantee the debt on the loan because I'm still at a small level to where this is not non-recourse, this is guaranteeing. Yeah. So, you know, my LLC might carry the note, but I'm, I'm personally the one guaranteeing it. Yeah. Uh, they'll, they'll want to replace that guarantor with somebody else that can fill in or have the other four guarantors prove that, Hey, even without them, we're still solid. You know, we got, we, our, our equity is so large or we got X amount of cash over here or whatever you got to be able to show that, hey, that's not going to be a material change. If someone dies, I had some bad conversations with family members, you know, a small mom-and-pop operation that, you know, the the, the the husband was the business and the mom was the stay-at-home type. It was the, kind of the old-fashioned arrangement. Yeah. I had to call them up and said, look, I'm sorry for your loss, but the business is basically in default now because the, the main entity has passed away. I need this loan paid. And so I, I had to be the one that told this, poor you know widow that hey not only have you lost your husband you got to bury him do all this and refigure out your life you have to figure out how you're going to repay the bank on this commercial loan and that's and figure out
0: your finances now moving forward because that that breadwinner is gone and that that's That's a great situation that's a tough spot to be in man
1: yeah so so you look at all those things you know you got you you can't have lean from the city if you're gonna have a bacon around you better make sure it gets low low yeah You know, you don't want code enforcement notifying you and or the lender. You got to keep all the simple stuff you ideally do no matter what. You know, make sure the insurance is paid, make sure this and that. Um, but there's a lot of homework that goes on the commercial side. You know, every six months with one lender, I've got to submit uh, rent rolls. They want to see my rent rolls, how much I've grown, how much rent's going up, how much rent's going down, and they'll call me back and say, hey, we see on this property, you haven't raised rent in three years. You know, is there a reason? Is there, you know, what's going on? And, and they'll kind of pick you apart because they'll kind of re-underwrite you periodically and stress test and say, hey, do we have concerns? Do we not? How good does the credit look? Just again, to make sure they can go to their loan committee because internally they'll rank you with other, with other borrowers and say, here's the best of the best. Here's the mediocre. Because if there's time to determine the fact, they'll let you know. Oh, yeah. Um, you got to submit personal financial statements. I mean, and, and that is, it's, it's a little more serious. It should all be the same as the, uh, the initial credit application because you're supposed to be given the truth. Now you're signing here saying, this is all accurate. But when you give that personal financial affidavit, that is actually an affidavit. Like you're testifying in court. This is what my finances look like right now. This is, these are the credit cards I owe. This is the money I have in these banks. These are the properties I own that's that's supposed to be that's what the bank relies on to look at your financial health and know where things are going so you know on the in the consumer space it's real easy you, you get the loan you make the payments you make sure the insurance is paid nothing ever happens commercial it's it's an ongoing relationship you're talking to them at least for the two or three months well wow. um, I, I make it a point when i go as much as I like online bill pay i learned a long time ago talking to other customers and other Friends of mine that are builders and other businesses. Yeah, I make a point to walk in my payment, and I see my banker every single month. I, I, I do it around lunchtime, so it's not too super inconvenient to me. Yeah, but I don't I don't make my commercial loans uh, an auto pay thing to where I see my banker once every three years. I see mm-hmm. him every single month. I say hi. I let him know how things are going. I, I,
0: I think start. I think that's so crucial as well. Not enough people are actually doing that. Like building the relationship is crucial to to really get your success and, and build that friendship relationship to make sure that they do have your back.
1: Yeah. It, 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 help, it helps me. You know, I hear what's going on at the bank. I hear he's coming and going. I hear, um, there's industry talk about maybe I've kind of heard some things that maybe you're not supposed to hear, but just general conversation about where, where the industry's going, where they're wanting to lend. Yeah. Um, there's times that maybe there's, there's time I wasn't even thinking about refinancing some properties and he just happened to mention, Hey, you know, we got a great sale. We're looking for this kind of market. You know, each, each bank, you know, banks don't just lend money out the door to everything. They have certain pockets just like you want to diversify your investment portfolio. Banks diversify their loan portfolio. There's only so much of that bank's money that can be lended on medicine, or oil and gas, or real estate, or commercial real estate, residential real estate. And so when a certain certain portion of that portfolio runs thin, they will try to grow that portfolio. So I found out I could, even though I wasn't looking to, and I was happy with my rate, I saved over a percent by bringing some additional properties to him and refinancing because they were looking to grow their single family rental portfolio. Mm. You know? There's other banks I'm talking to, and they're like, hey, we're full. We're good. We're not really looking for anything. Yeah. And over here, I, was like, I found out just by going there and making my loan payments, like, look, we're looking for some more. You got some more. We're happy to lend. And I got like a 20 year fixed rate. Yeah. I love like that. I jumped on it. Because some of my other lenders, they've got a five year balloon to where it's, like, exactly. hey, here's your five year term, and you got to renew it, or it's just contractually due. You know, we'll let yeah. you advertise it over 20 years. So you have that. 20, it's like you're making the payment where it's over 20 years. Yeah. Five years, you're done.
0: Yeah. Which, you know, I, I, I really don't like those at all just because you're constantly worrying about, you know, that five year mark and you need to plan ahead. So you never, you know, I, I like the 20 year fixed or 30, you know, as long as you can get and, you know, if anything, just pay above.
1: Uh, But. Absolutely. We, I started that way. So I've got one big bank that gave me the, the 20 year and five year term, which was pretty typical. And i and because I was so used to it. Seeing at my bank, I was like, okay, that's fine. But then I realized after a couple of years in, you know, there's times I may call your note and say, Hey, we're not lending to you anymore. You know, things got bad, please leave. Yeah. But I, remember there, I remember in my own personal job, I was like, there are a lot of customers where it's hey, not bad enough for me to call your note. You're not really in default but we decide we don't like you. So I've already decided two years in advance. So when your loan comes up for renewal on that five year balloon, yeah, I'm not doing it. The answer is no. Yeah. And I don't ever want some bank making that decision on me. Exactly. So, so even if I'm paying a quarter point more or a half a point more, I'm going to those 20 year fix. I'm going to, I'm making it as close to that consumer world where, Hey, as long as I make my payments and I turn in my homework assignments to you and with my, You know, financial statements and my rent rolls. Yeah. I don't have to worry what the things are going. You know, maybe, maybe it hurts my cash flow just a smidge now, but it gives me that extra security because I don't like those five year balloons. Yeah. It makes me nervous. So
0: let me ask really quick. I I do want to jump into short sales in a minute because I I know you do have experience with that as well that we can dive into. But how many years were you working on the, you know, in this industry for the lending side?
1: On the lending side, I was in commercial loan workout for about five years.
0: Five years, okay, awesome. Years. And what what were those years? Just to kind
1: of get an understanding, like was uh, it right
0: around I, the bad times? We,
1: we yeah we it was it was during the last downturn. So I got out. I left the bank um, April I guess two years ago. So we're in nineteen. So I left the bank April of seventeen. Okay. So I went to the bank about April of twelve, uh, December of twelve. Okay, gotcha. Uh, January of twelve. Yeah. Okay. So, so i I'd, I'd been in the bank a total of ten years, but I was on the IT side, supporting yeah. other sides, and then I went to commercial lending and did that for about five years.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So um, so let's talk about short sales, and you know what do banks deal with, I guess, or what are, what are they looking at when it okay. comes down to the short sale side?
1: So 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 negotiating the short sales and dealing with short sales. So if with with this bank that I worked at, and it was a very large bank, a very good bank. We have obviously the commercial, or we have the the we have the commercial paper and we have the consumer paper. And so for a single family, it's all gonna be consumer paper. And there's a portion of it where you call the mortgage division. And they, they turn through the money. They, they lend the money out, and then they sell the money on a secondary market and they service the debt. Yeah. But then you have the mortgages where you go to a certain branch and you talk to just a consumer lender and that's where they keep the money in house. So you got the paper, they sell on the secondary markets and service. Yep. And then you have the actual mortgages they keep in house. Maybe it's a second mortgage, maybe it's a small first mortgage, you know, whatever they have. And so they treat them differently. So whoever has the servicing rights on that big paper that's sold in the secondary market, that's who you're dealing with. And they're the big operations. They're the ones that are pains in the neck to deal with and get them on the phone and find that attorney and they're hard to deal with. But then for the ones that have in house money, And then the loan goes under default. You know, there's a divorce, there's a death there's for whatever reason, someone lost their job. Who knows? Yeah. Those are the ones to wear in house. Even though the consumer division is the one that's doing the the letters because the consumer protection act and all the rules on consumer financial residential stuff are so strict. You know, you got to know, is it a veteran? Have they done this? Have they done that? And you've got to give this notice on that day. Yep. Compared to the residential side, the commercial lending world is like the wild, wild west. You know, you're, you're a business entity. You've you got access to legal counsel. If you're willing to agree to this and I'm willing to agree to it, we're good. Outside the okay. usury laws. On the consumer space, oh, my goodness. There is so much stuff out there that our residential team has to be certified on it, trained on it, and tested on it. So we would never touch it. We even had deals to where maybe I had a dentist that had a practice and he pledged his own personal residence as collateral, even though it's a business loan and the business name, the holding yards. We were so nervous of the regulators slapping our hands because it happened a lot, that we would even let the residential collection team handle that le- loan and mm-hmm. we would kind of give oversight on how we want, you know, send this letter, send that, but make sure you do it. So you cover all the regulatory stuff so that you could because even the type of collateral made us nervous. And we got to where we didn't do it. But every once in a while you find a loan was like, uh Oh, this is yeah, getting a little scared. Right? Yeah. I was like, Whoa, this, you know, whatever potential fines we might get, if we make a slight mess up, totally outweighs any potential savings by doing this and that. But, Once we get that collateral back or we're about to, or we realize, Hey, you know, this is a short sale situation. We need to get outside of this and we can't find somebody to sell the paper to. Then they would come to our division and say, okay, we have a proposal. You know, this person's underwater. You know, we loaned them a hundred thousand dollars. The house is only worth 70. We just pulled an appraisal. You know, half the sheet rocks missed them, the roofs caved in, whatever the scenario is. Yeah. We know we're going to lose our tail. And rather than try and auction it off and think about what it's going to go and how much longer the process will take, they will bring the collateral to us. And so they might handle it on the consumer side. My particular bank let the commercial side at least oversee the liquidation of the collateral. So we were the ones that would approve the short sale. We might counter offer and say, well, based on this, here's a number we'll take. We'll give a yes or no that's where our lending authority would come to it. So the the residential retail dial for dollars team would say, Hey, I've got the scenario got cooked up here. Here's the stuff. We'd have a weekly meeting and they'd kind of give us the proposals. We'll work through collateral by collateral and would say yes, no, maybe use some counteroffer just to get a second set of eyes and help be good stewards for the bank. So anytime you can find a, for the investors out there looking for short sales, and if you can find that it's actually paper held in-house at a local bank, you know, talk to your special assets team because they're typically the ones who will give the final authority of we will agree to this sale. You know. Mm-hmm. They will they'll be the ones that say, Hey, you know, you may not be talking to me, but behind the scenes, without my signature, you're not getting this. That's who you need <laughs> to get a hold of and understand what the rules are. And there's times, you know, if the bank does a really good job. They may not have a ton of them and they may not spend a whole lot of effort on them, but man, when the economy turns and they've got 15, 20 of them, you'll get these people calling you saying, Hey, I've got 20 ounces of the move. Can you take them. <laughs> so even in the, even in the good times, you want to find out who those people are um, and, you know, send them. I, back when I did sales a long time ago, I found out I would, I could send like a, a little tray of cookies and a simple note, like once a month to someone. And it wouldn't go anywhere for six, seven months, and then all of a sudden, my phone might ring. If you find some way to get a hold of someone, you know, at the special assets department of a bank that you're looking into, the, you know, hey, I'm looking at foreclosure records on this and that, and this bank seems to keep popping up. Try and find one of those people and just get your name out there. Because, I love that. Because at some point, you know, these are employees. It's not their house. Of the, course it's a file on their desk and you're going to find that magical time when they've had a really long week and they've got too many files and they're like, somebody fix my problem. And if you can fix their problem, you'll get some properties.
0: It's so true. I like that. So now when dealing with the banks and, you know, say an investor, one of the listeners that are, that are trying to get started and they're, they're looking for that short sale um, or they, they found a property and unfortunately it's going to have to be a short sale. Right. Now, it really just comes down to negotiating with
1: the bank one-on-one. Yes, it, it, it typically does. Now, the way I've had the most success with my personal investing, I find properties before a realtor gets involved. because I'm a <laughs> licensed realtor. I became a realtor to make, help my own investing life. Yep. Um, and I see these listings, hey, the bank has already agreed to this price. Yeah, so The price is way too high for an investor anyway. Maybe a homeowner that wants to buy it, and you know, that might be okay. I tend to have better luck. You know, finding a vacant house and doing some research and saying, hey, why is the grass a foot and a half tall? Why are there shingles blown off? Why have I not seen a car in this driveway in three years when I've driven by this house? Yeah. Find that thing. And what you can do is if you can reach out to the homeowner, you know, obviously you're going to have to have the homeowner's cooperation. They've got to send certain paperwork to the bank. They've got to send a letter saying, hey, I'm asking for this. Please forgive my debt. Let me out of this, yada, yada, yada. The bank wants an updated financial statement and the bank wants an assurance, part of a short sale is if they agree to it, the owner of that property that's selling it cannot get any proceeds, not under the table, not, not up front. You know, if the bank's going to take a loss, they're going to make sure that owner walks away with nothing. Mm. Um, so, so they want to make sure they have the financial wherewithal to be in that dire straits. If if I'm negotiating a short sale saying, Oh, poor bank, I can't make my mortgage payment. And I submit a financial statement. I say I've got $600,000 sitting in cash in the bank. They're going to say no. They're like, "Honor your loan. You bought that house, you take that loss." But if I if I show them, "Hey, look, I owe 50,000 in credit cards. I, you know, my checking account's overdrawn. If there's no way in the world I can possibly honor this debt to you." Then the banks like, "Okay, yeah, we might have something." And yeah. then they send an appraiser out. They're going to look at that property. Um and I've had the best luck when I can sell them on the fact that, hey, this homeowner has already abandoned your home. He's not here. There's no one living here. Feel free to walk through. Yeah. The home in this condition. He has not contacted a realtor. He is not trying to sell it. You know, it, give them the doom and gloom. It's like, look, this house is coming back to you. Yeah. Do, do you want this house back? And if you can sell them that message and they realize nothing's going to happen and it's in, it's in a bad shape. They will negotiate with you.
0: I think that's super key. Like really painting the picture and letting them know how bad of a situation that they're about to walk into. That they might not even acknowledge or realize right now. But as they start moving forward, this property will be getting taken back. The owner doesn't care. He he moved on already. So, you know, you're going to have a problem on your hands sooner than later. Let's try to work something out, especially before the realtors get involved. You know, right. is you're just dealing with more middlemen and it can really turn into some chaos down the road. I,
1: absolutely. And then, and then the bank realizes, okay, once a realtor comes in, that's a 7% commission. You got this, you got that. And yeah. more delays. And the, the thing with the short sale is the bank can't get involved with realtors until they own it. See, at that yep. point on you know, the paper, and that's terrible paper at this point, they don't <laughs> own that house. They can't sell the house. They But they can agree to take the loss on the paper and, yep.
0: they,
1: and they say, okay, well... Based on this, we're we're good enough to go ahead and acknowledge we'll take this loss and we'll release our lien to allow the sale to go through. Now, if someone calls me up and says, I, I want to do a short sale, and I, I I talk to them and say, you know, you're living in the house, the house is in great condition, a great neighborhood, the yard's been mowed, and they're like, Yeah, I decided I'm gonna lose my job. I'm I'm three days late on my mortgage payment. There's you have no argument to take it to a bank. You know, the yeah. like, seriously. You know, call a member. Go get another job. You know, file unemployment. You know, we're not doing something. Yeah, it, it's the, the the houses you're looking for, the 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 flags that you're looking for. You know, just like any other occup, you know, pre foreclosure, whatever else. You want the tall grass. You want the some shingles blowing off. You want a broken window. You want the obviously, hey, here's something bad going on here. You find out who that is, who has the paper, and you tell them, hey, look, here's your collateral. Obviously, you know, you had a few missed payments, but I don't think you know how dire the situation is for your institution. Um, the sooner you can get me into this house and get this off your sheet, the better, because every single month, every bank knows they're losing value. Of course.
0: So, and they don't, they don't want it on their record. They don't want it on their desk, deal with the hassle, all the ins and outs of the expenses that add up. So, you know, you're I, so good
1: on this. I love yeah. it. And they're, they're going to tell you, oh, well, he, he might sell it. He might do this. No, he moved to Florida. This house okay. is empty. He moved He's on. Nothing. He's given up. He realizes there's nothing coming his way. So why bother? Yeah. He's waiting for you to foreclose. He'll file bankrupt and he'll wipe the slate.
0: Yeah. The only oh, thing.
1: Like, uh, yeah. Okay. Um, let's talk.
0: Exactly. And, it, and it's That's crucial right. because the damage or vandalism that could be happening in the near future is, is up there. So yeah, I, I think it's important to, to get, you know, to paint that picture to them. I, I think it's very good.
1: Yes.
0: You know, before we finish up in just a second, I know, you know, you mentioned to me in the past that you only buy your properties with cash now and then refinance later instead of dealing with the banks up front on purchasing. And I've I've done both, but, you know, I do like to leverage as much as possible. So, if I can get a bank to to give me a loan right up front and I'm just having small, you know, payments and get in with what, 25% or so, it's a lot more to leverage. So,
1: give me, give me your reasoning or your thoughts behind that. Well, nine times out of 10, a property I'm buying isn't lendable. Um, okay. they're, they're, they're in bad enough shape. I mean, I paid $1,600 for a three bedroom townhouse. that caught fire four years ago. I love now it. i getting a loan on that. Did
0: um, you have any insurance, um, options with that, even though you were purchasing it. I know sometimes you can go back to the original insurance,
1: the, 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 in this particular case, the reason it never was handled, this person somehow had the wherewithal to pay off the loan years ago, yeah. and made the intelligent decision to say, "I don't need insurance now." And <laughs> so there goes the fire, and there is set the house. So oh my God! So that was that was there. There was no possible go back at that point. No, but but I had better luck, especially on the consumer side, because <laughs> consumer side won't possibly do it. Commercial, they might look at something and say, oh well, yeah, here's something," but the bones are okay. And if you have the, the, if you have the, the assets somewhere else, or you have, if you have background with that bank and they know, Hey, you know, Chris has done 15 deals. Yeah. yeah. We're okay. Yeah. The super face when I first started, you couldn't do it. You had to get it polished and fixed up and in great shape. And then you go get your leverage. My, the, the, the time I did my very first commercial loan and it was almost by accident because, you know, even even with me being a commercial lender, it was it was really by co- professional courtesy that I got to go talk to another banker because just like wholesalers, I mean, there's 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 investors calling commercial bankers all the time. Hey, I want a loan. I want a loan. I've got a great deal. They hear yeah. that story all day long. Of course, they're commercial, they're commercial people. They're they're commissioned. But they wanna they want they want their commission on a five million dollar loan. They don't want to talk to <laughs> someone for a hundred thousand dollar loan. Yep. I mean. At the end of the month, if they need to make their numbers, they'll listen to you. But you know, they they're they're looking for the biggest fish possible, or if you want to start small, I say, "Okay, you're not really that big yet, but I see potential." Then you might turn into that person. You, one loan today, fifteen loans next year. Who knows?
0: Yeah, it's always important to put yourself in the other person's position and really think. You know, what's going through their mind? You know, yeah. how are they looking at me? How am I standing in front of them? You know, I, I think that's crucial.
1: But, but when I first called my other lender up, and, uh, you know, this is the first commercial lender I went to once I realized I had to go this route, this was an MLS deal. You know, this was right out there. It was what the seller thought was move-in ready. I didn't quite think that. But, you know, from a rental standpoint, yeah, I guess arguably it could be. And so I, you know, I ran the numbers, and um, I got the price that I wanted, and I knew from an underwriting standpoint, look at the numbers, the cash flow against the debt load that would be on there home run for the bank um but, but later on once the bank pulled the appraisal he called me up and said you know what i hear this all the day all, all the time you know i got a great deal i got a great deal and he's like you got a hell of a deal you paid ninety thousand dollars for this duplex that's going to rent for 1500 bucks a month after both sides and then appraised for 132. yeah and, and this was on mls this wasn't you know this was a this was polished ready to go I, I did some more updates to it but this was on mls for the whole world to see this wasn't a a pocket deal that someone gave up, whatever. It was just an MLS deal. And I got a commission for buying it because I was an agent at the time. Yeah,
0: yeah. And then, well,
1: you know, I didn't care what the appraise the, the value was, except for leverage purposes. I, I, I said, look, the numbers look good. You know, at $90,000, $1,500 a month, I'm happy. That Those numbers work for me. But because I went to there and I didn't have to do fix-up, they said, okay, 20% down, you know, commercial, commercial one, 20% down. I borrowed. I had to put eighteen thousand down plus closing costs, so I borrowed seventy-two thousand dollars, and it appraised for one hundred and thirty-two. And I'm thinking in the back of my mind, awesome! I've got some equity. Yeah. Six months later, I can call my guy and say, "Hey, let me tap into some of that equity and buy something else." Well, when I called him, he's like, "Nah, we're good. We don't want to do that." I was like, "What do you mean?" He's like, "Well, there's no there's no real uh, reward for finding a good deal. You know, we're we're here at." You know your first commercial loan. You're you're barely above 50% loan to value. And I'm like, you're not going to let me get my equity. He's like, yeah, no. You can go talk to another bank if they want to put a second. They they're good, but we're not going to redo this. And I was I was flabbergasted. Yeah. I before had had problems getting my equity. Yep. And I was like, okay. So I kind of I kind of regrouped and thought about it, and I went by uh, with the same bank. I went ahead and financed a few other properties. But then in the back of my mind, I said, okay, I need to diversify. I can't have one commercial bank. Yep. So I started looking for a bank number two. So if any other bank changes their mind and says, eh, we don't like Chris anymore. We don't like rental properties anymore. i all my eggs not in one basket. You know, I can move from this bank to that bank. And after talking to bank number two, about a year later, I said, hey, I'm thinking about refinancing some of these properties. How about this duplex over here? They pulled the appraisal. It appraised the same. It didn't really go up. And I said, okay. And I got my 80% out of that. And so when my other lender called me and said, hey, we just you know we did this loan like a year and a half ago. Why are you paying it off already? And I said, well, they'll let me borrow 80% of the appraised value, not 80% of what I paid for it. Yeah. And I said, and I, I use those words. I like, Look, there's no reward for limiting your customer. If you're going to cap me off of the knees, you're not going to be my lender much longer.
0: Exactly. I mean, there's other options out there. So I, yeah. I, I commend you for you know when they kind of try pushing you back in the corner you just got to push back
1: yeah and so, and so so you know they i still have some loans with them okay five year balloons probably when the, when those come due in the next year and a half well in advance of that i'm already talking to my other banks saying hey yeah that's this paper and i'll probably be done with them cuz i, I know even if i go back you know they're, they're a bigger bank and they have more hoops to jump through But they do reward you. Some of the bigger banks that have bigger hoops and more hassles tend to give you better rates. Mm
0: -hmm. But
1: then as you start growing, you get bigger. You know, it's okay for two or three, but when you're juggling 20 and I'm looking to grow to 50 and I'm looking at multifamily, yeah, stress and the paperwork and all the issues and everything like that, and to still be tied to a five-year balloon, it's not worth it to me.
0: So 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 let me ask you, though, in regards to rates, you know, because a lot of people out there, I believe, are looking for the best rates. But sure. in reality are are the rates as important? I mean, I'm just trying to figure out how to deliver this you know ask this question. Oh, is it really important to worry about more or less the the rates in comparison to really being able to accomplish your overall goal with leveraging as much as possible or or you know it's still the property's still cash flowing if it is a real good asset you know and it really is a good property, you get all your money back and it's cash flowing your your debt to income service is. You know, like two X, you know, so right. or more. Is it really crucial to to look for those certain I guess points or rates that are slightly a little bit less?
1: I, I I believe it is with with the caveat of saying, okay, how many hoops do I have to jump through for this and at what point is it worth it or not worth it? It's it's like shopping for you know with coupons. Yeah. At some point you get tired of all that crap, I've got enough money. Let me just pay what it's worth. I don't want to go to this sale on this day. I mean, yeah, I used to love Black Friday. Now I can't stand it. I don't do <laughs> anything with it. I'm good. I'll I'll pay a 10%, you know, these tax free sales that a lot of the moms go to before school starts. Yeah. I'll pay a 10% penalty if I can shop without them. <laughs> you know, so I love that. yeah, as, as you as you grow and as you mature. Now I've got some builder buddies who are more transactional, you know, They'll get a one year construction loan, put up a spec home, sell it. And they've got some lenders that are great, super easy. Hey, you know, just do this, real minimal documentation, you know, just kind of the good old um, banker, you know, handshake kind of thing. Yeah. And I talk to them about some rental properties. Well, they're over a percent higher than some of my other banks. And so when I'm looking at long term debt from a cash flow perspective, that adds up. And so that's where it's like, okay, maybe this isn't my bank. Maybe th- this might be my bank for flip properties. This might be my bank for more, more transactional where I'm in and out in less than two years. Yeah. So if my client holds and I'm, I'm, you know, unless something changes, I think I'm going to have this asset for 15, 20 years. Yeah, there's some times that, you know, maybe go to this bank over here. Now I'm I'm definitely getting away from the five year balloons just from the risk perspective and all that. Yeah, and, and I'll pay a half point more to have my 20 year fixed. But yeah, it, you know, you you look at it, you look at the the cash flow, and when markets dip and rates are cheaper, yeah, you know, I'll, I might refinance not to pull equity out, but if I can get a lower rate and help my cash flow, absolutely.
0: No, I agree. I love that, Chris. I feel like God. There's not enough time in the world to be able to really be able to pick your brain and get all the gold out of it. But this episode has been amazing. There's there's so much gold that you just released on all the listeners. So I really do appreciate you so much for jumping on here. Is there any like last uh, advice that you would give to anybody just getting started or, you know, kind of possibly finding themselves after a couple properties and starting to run into these commercial or, you know, the the traditional lending criteria that's, they're they're starting to just get a little crazy driven from it, you know, anything that
1: you would recommend for them? I I would, I would recommend right now be more patient. You know, everyone's been talking about the the next downturn coming. We've been, we've been talking about for two or three years now, (laughs) you know, no one's got the crystal ball, but everyone says it's going to come soon. So make sure, you know, if, if you're, if you're thinking, eh, I really want this house, but maybe I'm stretching myself a little too thin, maybe back off. People talk about bringing on partners and saying hey 20% of a of a huge pie is a lot better than 100% of a small pie Yep, well three rentals and 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 cash flowing like a king um, And missing out on one when you're small and growing Kicks the crap out of having four and then filing in default six months later because you overextended yourself or the market rates drop or mm. something else so you know, just hedge your bets a little bit. This, this isn't, you know, we're not in the buying season yet to where things are going to fall apart. So just, you know, do your due diligence. Make sure you got plenty of capital on the side. Make sure, you know, just, you know, set a number. You know, my personal goal is $10,000 $10, per house is liquid, accessible, so if a roof blows off, an AC gets stolen, anything, I've got my money to make repairs. I don't have to go to my purchase money to, to do this and do that. And just know, know that we're getting into a riskier season for these buyers um, and just pick your targets wisely, be patient. And maybe it's a year, maybe it's three years, be ready for when that buying season comes and, and you pick up six and 10 in a year.
0: That's right. That's right. You know, and Man. just to add to that, you know, there, there might be some closed doors that come onto you. Obviously be patient, but be persistent. Don't, don't let the, all the noise out there of, uh, you know, the market scare you and not allow you to take action. It's all about educating and really preparing yourself. So be a little bit more cautious with your numbers and, right. and on the conservative side. But at the same time, take action. You know, you're not going to get deals out there until you start submitting offers. So analyze right. at least three deals in a day, submit an offer every single day, and then see what your 30-day challenge looks like at the end of the month. And you should be able to surprise yourself. But I, I'm,
1: um, I'm still looking. I'm still buying. I'm just, I'm just right. extra picky. I'm not. That's you know, right. Three, three years ago, I might get the price for on certain properties. Right now, I'm like, no, my number is my number. And if it's someone yeah. else more than me, good for them.
0: That's right. I love I'll,
1: it. I'll buy it from them three years from now when they're in foreclosure. That's right, <laughs> Chris. So how can uh, people get a hold of you? Uh, I'm on Bigger Pockets. I'm on Facebook, so look me up, Chris Simmons. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not the best at social media. I'm trying to get better at it. Uh, you know, I'm an agent with Cutter Williams, so if you Google Chris uh, Simmons, Cutter Williams, and Tulsa, you'll find me. You can shoot me an email. I'm happy to talk. Uh, you know, anyone in this market, you know, I go to the, the local RIA meetings. I'm happy to talk to investors and give them my insight and network with them. Those are probably the best ways to reach me. I'm not quite to where I want to get my mobile number on the. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're good.
0: I, I don't do that either, but uh, there's some crazy individuals that do that. But Chris, yeah. I, I mean, nothing but gold on this one. I really do appreciate it. I feel like this episode right here really stands out. It's something that we were missing uh, within ready, set, go real estate investing podcast. So I do appreciate you for jumping on here, taking the time out to do that. Um, is there anything that the listeners can do to give back value to you? Cause I know you just, Time's our biggest asset. You just gave
1: up your time. If for anyone that's in my market or ever going to be somewhere, I'm going to try and somehow update my post so that you know when I'm going to Vegas on a real estate conference, I'd love to meet some people and just kind of network with them because you know uh, I'm struggling with finding multifamily deals in my market. I went out and met you in Phoenix on the syndication deal. Someone, someone in, in the different market that I don't know anything about might say, "Hey, you know, I, I found a multifamily deal. You know, we yep. might syndicate together. You know, you know, uh, be at Phoenix." Uh, Vegas, uh, Washington, DC. I have no idea. Um, right right now, Tulsa, Oklahoma is a terrible place to buy an apartment complex. So, but if if, if someone else can find a deal, heck yeah, I'd love to partner with them.
0: Okay. I love it. Well, you guys have all heard it first on ready, set, go real estate investing podcast. Uh, Chris Simmons, appreciate you brother so much. I really do. And if any of the listeners want to, you know, do me a favor, reach out to Chris, you know, connect with him, network, see how you guys can add value to each other. If you guys want to reach out to me, you can always find me on brandonelliotinvestments.com. Otherwise on Instagram, brandonelliotinvestments or facebook.com slash R E I. So with that being said, guys, make sure you subscribe to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast. Hit that subscribe button. You get the newest episode, uh, just raw, great content for you guys to really be able to take action on every single Monday and um, make sure you leave a five-star review, and uh, that would just mean the world to me. Send a screenshot of that to me to anywhere on social media, and I'll send you my book, Action Driven, 100% free. So till next time, thank you guys all so much for listening. Chris, you're the man, brother. Truly do appreciate you. Awesome, thank you. Stay blessed, guys. This has been another episode of Ready, Set, Go! Real estate investing podcast, brought to you by Brandon Elliott. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Also, please don't forget to like, share, and leave a comment below. Thanks again for joining. Until next time, God bless.